Hi, I'm Dan Andre. Welcome to the podcast today. If you love chalk art like we do, you're going to enjoy the interview today. We hope you just relax and enjoy and put your feet up and have a good laugh with us as we talk about all the challenges, the mysteries, the excitement, the confusion, and the terrible, horrible stories that you're going to hear in the next few minutes. <laughs> This episode of Chalked and Amazed is brought to you by Monkey Wrench Press. Enjoy their newest release, Caring for Your Potted Plants by Pete Moss. Available at fine bookstores everywhere. (laughs) Welcome and thanks for joining Chalked and Amazed, your radio podcast for gospel chalk artists. I'm your host, Kerry Kissler. Have you taken a moment to check out the podcast website, chalkedandamazed.com? Well, go right on over there. Take a look at uh, chalkedandamaze.com. There are several chalk art resources, which uh, you may download for free, including creating hidden pictures the sneaky, easy way. That's chalkedandamaze.com, C-H-A-L-K-E-D-A-N-D-A-M-A-Z-E-D.com. Now, this episode, I have joining me a very special friend, one of the uh, veterans of the, of the chalk art movement, and uh, somebody that I appreciate and respect uh, very, very much. His name is Dan Andre. Dan, welcome, and thank you for joining me on Chalked and Amazed. Hi, Kerry. It's my pleasure. <laughs> hey, let's take a look backwards in history for just a moment, and I'd like you to tell us about your first exposure to chalk art, uh, your first chalk artist that you saw. Do you remember back that far? <laughs> it's hard to remember that far, but uh, we had a fellow named James Wooster who taught an audiovisual class at the college uh, back in, uh, and he had one day on chalk art in our school. And uh, then sometime later I saw a teacher draw, or a fellow draw for about a thousand teenagers and held them spellbound for about an hour and a half. And uh, I was amazed there at how well he kept the attention to people. Then I saw Everett Wayne Britton, and uh, he did some drawings at the Fairwinds Baptist Church out in Delaware. And he loaned me my first easel and helped me get started. And uh, he'd come over and say, yep, that's good, or nope, that's bad. <laughs> and that was my first chalk art lesson. So Everett uh, was your first mentor or teacher along the way? Yes, yeah, I had to speak to about a 1,000 kids a night in the inner city, and I was terrified. You know, how are you going to hold these kids' attention for an hour? But I remembered that chalk artist, and so uh, I got up there and drew pictures. And honestly, I was embarrassed at what I drew. A big X on the paper would look better than some of the first <laughs> drawings. And uh, But what what amazed me the most about it was, the fact the adults stood up there drooling over the pictures saying how that when I was drawing, the things that happened in their minds, you know, they would remind them of things that I'd never think of. And uh, I'd make a mistake on the drawing, and some guy would come up and say, you know how you put that big mistake up there over the lighthouse? That reminds me of when I was a boy. I saw this thing. (laughs) I just couldn't believe how that visual art reaches into people's minds. I think it's because for so many years people have been sitting in church and and in, uh, you know, groups like that, and just listening to lectures, and when someone gets up and tries to do something visual, it just opens up a whole new world for them. Absolutely. So uh, besides Everett, were there any other uh, special mentors or teachers in your past that uh, you know, helped point the direction for you? Well, when I first got into it, I looked forever for, for uh, classes and instructions and how to find uh, materials. And, of course, we bought things from Ding Tooling, and I was traveling full-time and didn't have much money, and like you, being a missionary and evangelist, tra- traveling around the world and trying to start churches here and help people with their ministries there and uh, doing everything from uh, you know small groups to like 20 up to national conferences uh, where we had 8,000. 
But uh, in, in the middle of all those things, I was trying to learn as much as I could about every artist I had. I didn't have time to take off for classes, so I devoured books like Jack Ham, Phil Saint, uh, and read all the books I could find on chalk art. I'd borrow them from chalk artists when I could do that. And then finally I stumbled across Ding Tooling in his workshop, and when uh, I went to his first workshop, I found lots of artists. In fact, the first day I came, I remember he said, well, I've heard about you. He said, uh, he taught a class, and then he, a little class, he said, now I want you to get up and draw for us. So <laughs> that was my first class. I was drawing for the class. And then I, I expected to be, you know, because I was not trained formally, I expected them to tear me apart and everything. And then got up after I drew, and he said, well, he said he broke every rule I just taught you. He said, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what I learned from that was like a guitar teacher I had in college. He said, He's met a thousand guitar teach guitar students, and he said every one of them brings something different to the class. And when he, whenever he's tempted to tell people, "Hey, you can't do it that way," he said somebody will play something that I can't play. Yeah, right. And I think that's like that in art. Every artist brings something new to the picture, and uh, we all face the same problems. But it's interesting how different people work out the same problems different ways. Sure, absolutely. Well, did you have any kind of exposure at all in the past to uh, chalk conferences or classes that came along and you said, hey, I think I'll try that out and maybe it um, you know, it opened up a whole different uh, facet for you in chalk art? Well, like most artists that I was full-time, I, I visited every class I could get a chance to visit. Sometimes I could just drop in for 30 minutes. Sometimes I had three hours. Sometimes it would be an overnight thing. And I'd call up the teachers and say, look, can I just stay? Can I bring my son and daughter? We just watch, you know, for a couple of hours. We're just traveling through it. Can't really come to the class because we had meetings booked where people were, you know, lining up to, to see us draw. But in my travels, I attended a few of Ding's classes, and then I enjoyed Ding's national conference, and I did my best to try to help Ever Britain host two more national conferences we did out in Delaware. The first one was pretty successful. The second one wasn't quite as good because um, the uh, print department forgot to mail out the promoters, <laughs> the promotional brochures that we made. But uh, anyway, we had a great time out there. I taught about 20 or 30 classes uh, for a year for small group groups in colleges and universities as I traveled. And then uh, one big class a year I'd teach. And most of the time I was assisted by my students, uh, like uh, Sam Glenn, Ray Dombeck, Lori Coleman, uh, some others that – you know, in some classes I had as many teachers as students, which I loved, because then you have, like, hand side-by-side, -side, uh, right at the easel, drawing teaching instruction all week long. Right, peer-to-peer -peer kind of education, right? Yeah, and really, you know what I found? Uh, like, Lori Coleman, she was trained in Florence, Italy. Uh, Rain Dombeck, he went to Pittsburgh uh, Art College, and uh, he's got his degree there. He was a professional sign painter for years. Sam Glenn, of course, he, has, he brings, like, uh, ben and he—they have a lot of experience. They work with Matthew Bowman, and when he when we came in and taught together, we were just shocked at how everybody's uh, everybody's talent and gift was so different, but yet brought like a new dimension. Sure. So we had Cheryl, uh, uh, Cheryl, what's her name, uh, Wiseman, I think her name was down in Texas, and she was trained at Juilliard, and uh, she came and did this face of Christ. I couldn't believe she used every color of chalk on that face, and when he, she got done, it was amazing. But she was like a professional artist for, uh, uh, like, models and that type of thing, and then taught in a public school. But she was very good. Hmm. Well, yeah, we all do have a, a, our own distinct style. I can, I can tell you that's for sure. I see drawings sometimes posted on a particular website, and I can say, oh, that one belongs to so-and-so, and, oh, I know Ray did that one. And so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, we all have our own style for sure. That's cool. And you know what I love? My, my prayer has always been that my students would be better than me. And yeah. God answered my prayer. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, now I, I want to before we leave this. Uh, you said that you your first experience at drawing uh, that you were embarrassed of. How far back was that? Do you remember the year that happened? Oh man, that was older than dirt. It was about thirty years ago. This is what two thousand and uh, ten. So subtract thirty from that. Okay, so it's it's been you've been at it a while. How was it that you transitioned yep. from from just doing chalk art in a you know part time manner into a full time uh, kind of enterprise? Well, I've been I was a little different when I was in college. I was doing full time work uh, and uh, traveling and speaking and uh, doing evangelistic meetings. Then uh, from there, um, I helped did like assistant pastor work and growth work in churches around. And from there, went to uh, full time ministry. Went up to start churches in Canada, and we started one up there in Mississauga, Ontario, and then we went to help about 15 other small churches up there, and then, real interesting, our supporting churches called me up and said, look, we need you back here. We want you to come back and help us build our churches in the United States, and and so uh, I've never heard of a supporting church saying, please leave the mission field, missionary, and come back and help us, but that's what happened. They had a meeting with me, and one of the guys said, does anybody ever give you advice about your ministry? And I said, no, they're afraid to. (laughs) <laughs> he said that made me twice as scared when you said that but uh anyway long story short we uh we traveled all those years and uh basically just tried to use it to help people to build their lives and build their families and uh you know build good solid works you know that type of thing. so you just sort of integrated the chalk art into the ministry work you were already doing at the time right like you i'm doing everything uh from gospel magic to uh we were doing multimedia work uh we did some Everything from children's work all the way up to uh, family revivals to conferences, crusades, open-air presentations. We did, like, uh, all my open-air ventriloquism. We did a lot of that. I think you're into that, too, right? Uh, My wife does. Yeah, she does vents. That's what I do. We have actually a a dummy that was made for a television show, and uh, he's made out of auto body putty. and He's really messed up. He's got, uh, (laughs) you know, he makes fun of me the whole time I'm talking. He Whatever I, is his name Bondo? Yeah, Bondo. He should be. And he's been like dropped and split into three pieces before, but I think it made him look better. Because okay. he was pretty ugly to start with. But uh, anyway, he just makes fun of me. He says all kinds of stuff. But anyway, we, we did a lot of ventriloquism, and the adults liked it more than the kids, I found. <laughs> oh, you know, that's true. I think you're right. Then we had Chalk. We did Chalk for TV, uh, a program called Thanks for Sunshine, for two years on Turner Broadcasting. And in fact, he saw the show. He liked it so much that he gave the money back to the church, I guess, for three years' worth of broadcast uh, time. But uh, it was all the way from New York City, Boston, uh, clear to uh, Washington. It's all over the East Coast. But we did that for two years and had chalk drawings. We did magic. We did. Uh, we had a robot, six-foot-tall robot, that would answer Bible questions. It was a lot of fun. So your shows really weren't, uh, and programs and presentations weren't really uh, gospel art, uh, you know, chalk art specific. They were more uh, a variety program. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, I hate to use this illustration, but kind of like Pee Wee's Playhouse on <laughs> gospel, you know? Right. <laughs> we had puppets that would attack me during the program. They would they, We call it ERP, Equal Rights for Puppets. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and they would come out and attack me. And they had lines like, uh, I wet my pants. The puppet would say that. Oh, my. <laughs> and then the other puppet would say, um, didn't you wear your rubber panties last night? I mean, these adults were sick. Then we had a grandma pu- The guys doing the puppets were adults. We had a grandma puppet that talked like Dick Berge on the, uh, on the uh, Pittsburgh football team, or Philadelphia football team, and he talked like this, you know. So we had the weirdest puppets in the world, but it was funny. And 
We actually found out the Tower of Power rock group in New York used to watch our show every Saturday, and they thought it was the funniest thing on TV. <laughs> but it was messed up. It was because the puppets would attack me. You know, whatever I was doing, they would be out there, you know, and giving me a hard time, including mine, you know. Uh-huh, right, right. Well, I call it guy in trouble. Guy in trouble. Right. <laughs> well, are all of your programs and, and drawings and so forth of a gospel nature, um, or uh, are you doing not, some you know, secular not stuff? Not all too? of them. Not all of them. I do some commercial st- stuff and things for, like we drew for the United Auto Workers, uh, the theme, uh, perfect for the auto, auto workers, the theme of the Titanic. <laughs> and basically I said, uh, the quote they put on uh, TV there was, the Titanic illustrates that there's a difference between the manage- management and the will of God. Because uh-huh. they right. said, keep a stiff upper lip, everything will be fine, but they all went down. But it was really interesting to me because I was the first gospel preacher they had in, uh, what, 58 years? And I went to the biggest uh, UAW meeting in Detroit, and the president of UAW was there. I mean, the, the national president and all the rest. And um, he and they and they had a thing called uh, I think it was called Gospel Fest or something. Where and I did a presentation like that. And we gave out hundreds of Bibles. We had like big Detroit choir sing from all the churches around town. It was some of the best music I ever heard. You know, Detroit music's amazing. So, are you ever booked by uh, civic groups and other, you know, non-gospel presentation kinds of venues? Yes, yeah. What would the breakdown be? Do you think uh, between the two? Oh, uh, it varied depending on the time of year and the and the interest. We had, uh, let's see, uh, Hallmark greeting cards. They wanted us to come and do some work for them, and uh, we had. Uh, I've handed that off to some. Uh, women around because they were doing a thing on women uh, doing cards, you know, and we they wanted a chalk artist to come and draw their cards in the malls, the shopping malls. Then, uh, but as far as me personally, I didn't do a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of secular work and stuff. Pretty okay. much the churches. So, what's the general process that you use when you're developing a new drawing to add to your repertoire? Well, that's an interesting thing. Um, I talked to Ron. Uh, Rod Snow about that, and he said most of his ideas come from, like, his devotional life, you know, things like that. I think it's true. It's like the artist, uh, uh, the, uh, the the book about the artist, the creative artist. There's a, there's a time where you have to um, really try to go out there and fill your pond with ideas. And uh, what I would do is I would study and research a whole lot of different ideas. And like seeds, you don't know which ones are going to grow. So you go out and you plant them all. So I would dig deep and try to do And what I found was this. When, when a lot of material was available for an idea and it started to grow, then it started to build itself. And then it finally came to a point where I called it like a, it's like a climax where I could see the whole thing in a nutshell. And it was almost like, you know, like an Indiana Jones thing where he's running from the stone and he dives down the thing and he gets away. Or like, uh, you know, Back to the Future when he gets struck by lightning and suddenly he's back in the Old West. It's kind of that kind of thing. So... Uh, you come to a place where you see, like, David and Goliath, you know, and he charges straight at him and he throws the, the stone, and, you know, the whole thing is is like a picture. That's why I called my ministry Visions. Each one of them was like a vision, like seeing uh, the climax of a movie. Right. When Eagle Falls, he's screaming for help. His mother and dad are saying, fly, dummy, fly. And suddenly he opens his wings and uh, 10,000 years of of race memory kicks in that God programmed him before the creation of the world. You know, he thought it out of how that eagle will use those uh, 6,000 feathers, you know, to take that breeze and turn it into, you know, uh, the ability to fly with only flapping once every three times or every every, every minute. Right. It can fly for hours. Anyway, it's kind of like that. 
kind of a convergence of things come together in an epiphany moment, and suddenly you say, hey, this would work. Hey, you said it better than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure I was understanding uh, what you were trying to say, and I think uh, I understand because I've got a number of drawings in my own in my own toolbox where uh, it just uh, they were uh, gestating or germinating for a very long time, and suddenly I just uh, the composition came together, and the, and the program fell together, and um, so I understand that process well. Yeah, it sounds like the same thing. Why chalk art for you? What is it about chalk art that compels and uh, captures and captivates you? Why do you use it? To me, I think the visual nature of it and the fact it's really fast. The medium dries quickly. There's no fumes involved. <laughs> um, it's easy to clean up. Um, chalk also is very, very visual. The colors are nice. Um, I think it's easy to make a large format drawing really fast. And I love the fact that chalk has a wide range of uh, uh, finishes. In other words... You can make it look as rough as a sketch on a chalkboard, or you can make it look like an oil painting if you take your time. And so it's, it seems like it has almost an infinite uh, level of refinement that you can go to on chalk. If you wanted to make a chalk drawing for your living room, you could do it, you know, but if you want to make something on a 6 by 8 sheet, you can do that in 15 minutes. So I think it's the speed, the ability to communicate, the, the vivid colors, the fact that it's easy to clean up, those type of things. Sure. Do you think that anything can be done presently to improve the growth uh, of chalk art as a ministry form and, and bringing in new blood into the chalk art world? Well, I think probably the the one thing in my life that made a difference, uh, because when I first started out, I was so desperate for help. And I think a lot of people, when they start in chalk art, they're looking so hard. They're trying to find someone to help them. And... Um, there was just no one around because when you're traveling and I'm on the road, I just did, I couldn't find any way to get help. And the, the neat thing, I'd like every week I, I said, Lord, if you'll help me do this, I'll help everyone you send to me. And if you send, send me one artist a week, that'd be great, or a hundred, I don't care. But every week I'll help whoever you send my way. And uh, things would happen like uh, this guy came up to me and he started talking. He says, man, he says, this chalk art's fantastic. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He's going on and on. And I said, well, what do you do for a living? He says, I, I paint signs and stuff for a living. i got a shop down the road here. And so we talked for a long time and everything. I said, well, you know, maybe you'd like to come draw with me some. He said, I'd love that. That'd be great. So I'm driving back to the motel after the meeting, and there he is broken down the side of the road with his truck. I stopped to pick him and his wife up, took him to McDonald's and fed him dinner. And next day we went to the church, and we started uh, seven or six days of uh, intensive chalk art training. He came over and worked two or three hours a day. And at the end of the week, I took all the chalk I had and all the paper I had and gave it to him. And his name's Ray Dombeck. <laughs> and he carries that chalk, that little chalk thing with him. Uh, the same one I gave him everywhere he goes, all over the world. When he went to Russia, he took it. You know, when he went to Mexico, when he went to uh, Cambodia, uh, Africa, wherever he goes, he takes that little box with him to remember, to remember that day. But, you know, I think if every artist would do that, take somebody under their wing every week, and, and to me... You can do more with a rifle than a shotgun. I always felt like I got a lot more done if I just spent a week with somebody than if I spent a month trying to teach a class. Like Matthew Bowman, he he first was starting out, and uh, Matt wanted to go to uh, Michigan to a, a, a university or college over there that I was teaching at for a two-week a winterim thing. It was like in between the semesters, and uh, they weren't. He wasn't really supposed to come. I think he was 16 or 17 at the time. And uh, But his dad begged me, he says, please, Matthew really wants to come. I said, all right. So I talked to the administration. I said, look, can he come and audit the class? And 
They said, well, we're not supposed to do this for minors. I said, well, look, I'll take responsibility for him. I'll take him out to eat every day and just try to make it easy, you know. So he came to, to the class and stayed all week. And uh, I took him out for steak dinners every day and talked to him about evangelism and about chalk art and tried to give him, let him pick my brain and help him, you know, and just encourage him. And I just felt like that I got more done with Matthew than all the other missionaries and people combined. Even though we had 7-year-olds and 76-year-olds taking the class, believe it or not, you know, they... Uh, I think God did something in Matt's life just coming that week, you know, taking some time. Right. And he'll tell you the same thing. He says he hardly gets up without and teaches without thinking about some of the things that I said. And I think that's not that's not because of what I've said, but because I think the Lord worked in that situation. The, what I'm deriving from, from what you're saying is that the individual attention, taking right. somebody under your wing personally, uh, if it's not one person a week, uh, maybe at least one person a, a year or two, uh, where you can give them focused attention and train them to a level of competency. Absolutely. In fact, what I found by doing that one-on-one, I learn as much as they do. Because right. they'll ask you a question as an artist, it's something that you've never done before, and it kind of stretches you and makes you kind of learn yourself. And and they'll, they'll come up with ideas. My students amaze me. They come up with things that just... Uh, Leave me in the chalk dust. That's that's what I want anyway. You know, to me, it's we're it's a team effort. You know, we're all on the same team. There's no competition here. We're all trying to help do the same thing. So sure, if we can help each other along the way, you know, two of you shall taste, chase ten thousand, right? Absolutely. So, are you teaching presently, Dan? Yeah, yeah. I do some one-on-one classes here in the home. Then I have nine books I've written on chalk art, and the people call from time to time, and they they send emails from around the the country, and then I help some folks with equipment. Uh, try to refer them so people know where to buy chalk and paper and easels and things and that type of thing. You know, speaking of equipment, let's uh, let's touch on that. I've been to your website uh, countless times, and you have a wealth of material there and some products for sale. And while we're at that juncture, let's talk about it. Tell us what you have uh, as far as resources for other chalk artists available. Okay, we have about nine different books and. One of them is called the Chalk Art Workbook, which takes six or seven drawings and goes step-by-step and kind of gives you an overview of the, I guess you'd call it the Phil Saint style and how we develop a drawing from start to finish. And uh, the fellow down in Florida, Bill Leach, um, his style. See, he got Everett Britton started. Bill Leach did. All right. So um, if you if you look at that, you'll see something different than Dink Tooling and that Matt Bowman's teaching. It's a completely different uh, style and um Anyway, that, that book will walk you through that and give you a handle on it. The neat thing about the workbook is most of it's online. I've had people actually take the course online with the workbook and draw a picture, put it on their website, and it looks as good as mine. Uh, awesome. So I love that. You know, that's to me, to me, uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And when somebody takes one of my drawings and uses it, I think, wow, that's great. That's cool. Now, I've seen this book. It's uh, over 100 pages, and you have parts of it. Uh, available on your website, but not the whole book, correct? Well, you're talking about the fine art painting with chalk. That's the theory. Uh, and basically, the uh, president of Southwestern University, he reviewed it. He's the, the head of the art department. He said that the book is more about therapy, art therapy, than anything else. And by that, he means uh, I'd spend a lot of time dealing with the fears that artists have and how that because of the fact that they feel like they need to spend like 20 years in a monastery somewhere suffering for their art, they don't ever get involved in it. They get very discouraged. Well, what I show is that with a few simple techniques, uh, you can bypass a lot of the things that people go through in art and get right straight down the first day you touch chalk to making masterpieces. 
and the, it sounds crazy, you know, the, the, the thought does, but what happened was there's a Dr. Margaret McDowell at uh, Cumberland University of Maryland. She did a thesis on the fact that <clears throat> training for art students doesn't have to be memorizing uh, hundreds of rules, you know, practicing those things, drawing grids, um, you know, all the different things they do, plumb and bob and the, uh, you know, uh, negative space drawings and all the things that they do with uh, artists. But she showed how that that artists that learn by tracing actually learn better and are more effective. <clears throat> they learn faster, and uh, their art their art can be sometimes the, the same thing. They can learn the same thing three and four times faster, and their art sometimes is three and four times better. And the interesting thing about it is, um, one of my favorite art. By the way, I've read hundreds of art books. <laughs> uh, Mona Brooks is one of my favorite. Uh, a guy named McDowell, uh, Margaret McDowell. She wrote that that paper. Uh, there's a fella named what's his name. Um, I'll think of it in a second. But he's the f- number one freehand artist in the country. He draws the pictures of the president every year. So each president, when they come in, he does a line drawing they put in the White House. But he wrote a book, a fantastic book on freehand drawing. But what he does is basically he'll draw the line of a person's body or their face or the side of an eagle's wing. He'll do it 100 times on a paper. Then he'll get up and freehand it. And when he gets done, it's in his hands, it's in his fingers. Right. And Margaret McDowell found that actually, just like you learn to ride a bicycle and like you learn to type, you know, like uh, you, you type, right? Yes. How many times did you hit the letter B in the last week? Yeah. On the typewriter. Countless. If I ask you a question like that, you'd say, you'd say, I don't know. I couldn't possibly think of it. But when you did that, you weren't even thinking. It just happened. Why? Because it's in your fingers. And it's like playing the piano. So art is like that. When you get the shapes in your fingers, in your hands, you don't think about it. It becomes natural. And for a beginning student, that's mastery. That's like a miracle. Because what they can do is they can sit down and learn the basic shape alphabet, like Mona Brooks describes. And in a matter of days, they can stand up before hundreds and hundreds of people and draw a picture they've never seen before or never drawn before without even practicing except the fact that they put these shapes in their into their hands. And I used to do that all the time. <laughs> Here's a bad thing. I'd get up and draw a picture in front of a thousand people and here comes the president or the uh, the lady who's the head of the Texas Tech art department. She says, I can tell you practiced that picture thousands of times before you drew it. And I didn't have the I didn't have the guts to tell her, honey, I just that's the first time I ever drew that. I grabbed that as a postcard I found in the airport. <laughs> but it wasn't any great talent on my part. It's just the fact that I'd sit down with that postcard on the plane and I'd go over it with my finger a hundred times. Right. Huh. And when I got up to draw it in front of the people, I knew the shape. The shape was there. It's like typing, you know? Uh, tell us about some of the other products. You said you had nine different books. Would you mind giving yeah. us the titles quickly? Sure. Yeah, one of them is called Fine Art Painting with Chalk. That's a long one. It's about theory and therapy. It helps you overcome your fears and gives you some secrets and hints on how to bypass the rules of art and just get right down to the fun part. Uh, sec- another book is called uh, An Open Door. And what's that, what that's about is one of the questions I get asked most at class is, how do you get meetings? How do you get the, your? Uh, how do you make your ends meet? You know, how do you pay for the supplies? Um, how do you get bookings uh, and fill up your calendar if you're going to be full time? In that book, I go through the top techniques used by people uh, to market and promote themselves in their own ministries. And really, it's the open door is not about us getting meetings. That's the wrong question. The the question really is how do you become the right kind of artist and the right kind of person so that people will want you to come to their meetings? You follow me? Yes. And that basically shows you how to do that and how to really fill up a schedule in 30 minutes for a year. And a friend of mine did that. He actually went to one little pastor's fellowship and did a drawing, and he booked his whole year in 30 minutes. 
And then, of course, magic questions are in there like Sam Glenn. Sam says he calls a person and he'll say, now I know you folks are probably booked uh, well in advance, and I know that you're not looking to book anybody new. I understand that. But I just want to make myself available to you. That's a magic question. And if you have a cancellation, give me a call. I'll come. That's a magic question. But that book's about how to get meetings and then, of course, a little bit about finances, how to deal with those. Then I have another book on easels where I took basically ideas from 20, 30 years of, of chalk art classes where I've seen people bring their easels in. And I remember my first easel. I used to draw on it as it went by. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to have a very good sound system. I had to have 500 watts just to drown out the squeaks, the groans, and the noises. I mean, it was like the platform was haunted when that thing would move. And honestly, I spent more time praying that I wouldn't get killed under my easel than than for the people in the in the place. And so... Uh, <laughs> uh, it reminds well, me of my first easel. I, I'm just re- <laughs> reflecting back. I know what you're saying. Go ahead. And so I have a book on easels. Basically, it just shows uh, basic designs people have come up with over the years, and uh, all the basic designs are in there. And so not nothing really detailed, but just ideas. That's called on easels. Then there's another book uh, called How to, uh, Program Development to show how to develop a program, how to research, how to put things together, how to get ideas for pictures, how to make those ideas come together, uh, presenting the climax, how to find music, those type of things, just basic practical advice for someone who's trying to put a program together because a lot of people who may be very good artists don't know how to communicate or stand up in front of a thousand people and make sense of what they're saying. And so that basically is a book that helps you organize your thoughts and get things organized. Then uh, we have some other books that are uh, training books, uh, a new one with Ray Dombeck that's uh, just released uh, just this year, and he's got about five or six of his pictures, really nice uh, details, step-by-step, all that. What's the title of that uh, particular book? Uh, it's another chalk art work, workbook, and uh, you can see it on his uh, website okay. at raydombeck.com, R-A-Y-D-O-M-B-E-C-K.com. Yeah, I, so hope, right there. I hope to get Ray on the show pretty soon here. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy him. He's a lot of fun. He's the opposite of me, you know. Um, I'd go in and say, now look, you guys, when we draw this, we had a colorama, we had 17 artists. I said, when, you, when we draw, just relax. If you, if you make a mistake, don't worry. It's going to be fine. <laughs> We'll, we'll be right there with you. We'll help you through it. And Ray gets up right after me and says, if you mess it up, I'll kill you. Yeah, I met, <laughs> <laughs> I met Ray at, uh, at uh, a conference in Gall Lake last summer, uh-huh. and uh, he has got the driest sense of humor. Oh, oh <laughs> and, man, no kidding. He does. Well, this guy booked him for a meeting, and he never knew him. He met him at my chalk class, and so they're driving back to their church in uh, Lubbock or somewhere. And as they're going along the road, he says, you know, Ray, uh, you and I just met, and I've never heard your personal testimony about how you became a Christian. So Ray says, well, I'm glad you asked. He says, one night I had this vision. I saw this giant snake with big red eyes. And when I was looking at those red eyes, I knew I was saved. <laughs> what? <laughs> and it got real quiet in the car, you know. He can tell you that story better, but <laughs> he does. He's got a, He's got some kind of sense. And he's a great fisherman, too. You're going to catch oh, some fish if you yeah. hang around Ray very long. And I don't care what he's drawing, there's going to be a fish in it. Yeah. He could be drawing the desert. There'll be a bass. Somewhere in that drawing, huh? Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> he's got some great stories about his dog, Fang, too. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk to Ray another time. Let's. Uh, what else do you have uh, in your product list? We want to know what else you have to offer. Chalk Art Workbook and Open Door, Life-Changing Programs, uh, The Easel, Fine Art Painting with Chalk. And those five books are the basic books I have. I have some other smaller ones that are about individual drawings, you know. But uh, but I don't have them out anymore. Then I, then I have about 25 um, chalk art videos that are actual presentations. Let's see. You know, there's four, 
12, 15, 18. There's 18 of them that are actual presentations that I did live. You can see the pictures there, danarder.com forward slash drawings, and you'll see uh, the cross piece, brush, fishing, grace, home, eagle, herod, lighthouse, heaven, jade, structure, witness, liberty, shuttle, the gift, rapture, missing children, storm, and titanic. Those are 18 of my favorites. Okay. Now, you also uh, have available for sale, uh, at least you did at one time, an easel. And I want to talk a little bit about your equipment and uh, take a quick look at what's under your hood. All right? Okay, sure. Tell us about your easel, how you designed it, and uh, what it's got in it, what's under the hood, what kind of lighting system, and so forth. Well, it's kind of a, a long story, but I'll make it quick. Um, when I when I uh, went to the doctor, I was having trouble with my back a while back and didn't know what was going on. And come to find out, I had an injury when I was uh, 12 years old where I lost my radial nerve in the last left arm. 35 year, 30 years after the fact, I started having severe problems with it. My hand would turn purple. You know, I'd lose feeling. Uh, it got to be very, very painful. And so went to the doctor, and he said, look, he said, you can't pick anything up more than 35 pounds if you do you're going to be in the hospital, and there's not anybody going to operate on this because the damage that's there is got, has lesions. But long story short, basically I had to get rid of all my equipment. <laughs> that's what that meant. Okay. At that time I was carrying a semi-truckload of like seven projectors and a huge sound system. Uh, we used voice and theater speakers at one time. They're so big you could put all your family inside of them. <laughs> they're, they're huge. And uh, we had... <laughs> we had uh, uh, gigantic, the biggest PA system I'd ever seen. It was on bicycle wheels, two bicycle wheels to roll it in. And it was a stack about four feet tall, and then it had a reel-to-reel on top of that. And uh, we had a uh, 48-foot projector screen on top. And then, you know, you can add it all up. And you've done this, too, if you carry Magic Show with you and then all the other stuff. I had, a, like, a semi-truck full. Uh, my kids slept on top of equipment when we drive. But uh, anyway, the uh, easel... Um, when I had to get rid of my equipment, I gave it to a, a fellow, and he's still using it, I think. Uh, the one that I had, it was made by a guy who designed uh, aircraft uh, landing systems for, for the uh, Aberdeen Proving Ground. He was a fantastic welder, and uh, he designed an easel for me there. It's like a, a swing set tripod thing, or not, I mean, four, uh, quadrupod. It, had, uh, it was like a swing set. It was so strong, you could actually stand on top of it, and you could, you could not move the board. It was really, really tight, the way he had it all built. But I had to get rid of that, and so um, I went out in my backyard and started uh, collecting parts and materials and tried all kinds of tripods and did experiments. And then, of course, I'd done the research with the book on easels for many years, and I'd been studying everybody's ideas because I didn't like anything I saw out there. And so I had to make something real lightweight that was easy to put together, so that's where the chalk art easel came or the flight easel came from. Uh, I got some great ideas from Ding. He went over it with a fine-tooth comb, you know, and, and told me everything I was doing wrong, what was missing. Um, uh, let's see, Tom Reed down in Texas, he had a wooden easel, kind of similar to it for years. But I encouraged him, I said, Tom, I said, you need a metal version of this that's lighter and that's easier because the wood would chip and split and it, it would warp over time. And so I actually went to his house and built one with him, you know, step by step of, of, the, of my design. And uh, I said, you can make these, Tom, you can do it. So he did. I think he's still making them down there in Texas. But the idea is to make an easel that's lightweight and that's easy to transport. The bolt, the board folds into four pieces. Um, it's a tripod. The lighting system is very, very simple. It's, uh, very, it's, it's uh, boiled down to the basic components. The idea being we wanted something you could get on an airplane with, and the whole thing fits in a golf bag. The lights, the hood, the chalk and paper, everything fits in, in one golf bag on wheels. 
and then we'd roll it into an airplane. And I found out something. If you use a golf bag, they won't charge you extra, at least in the old days until 9-11, because all the executives wanted to play golf when they went on their business meetings. Ah. <laughs> and if they charged the executives for their golf bag, they'd, or to you, they'd have to charge the executives. So I'd just drag them on there, and, and uh, we flew all over the world and all over the country, went to Sicily with it, and uh, just had one little dent there. And uh, those things have been all over the world. And since then, there have been some other designs uh, by other uh, chalk artists that are just as good or even better than what I've come up with, some of the new lighting things they have now and uh, some of the things. But uh, I don't really promote the sale to easels anymore because, you know, my health is not that well, not that good. But I'm able to help two or three a year. That's kind of fun. So if somebody uh, went to your site and saw it and decided to order one, uh, what's the retail price on those now? I think it's fourteen seventy-seven. And that's, uh, you know, you pay for the uh, legs, they're like, good night, $150 just for the legs. And that's without me even touching them. That's just w- the way they come in. So basically I order the parts and I hire people to help me to do to, to build it because it is a very labor-intensive. We're building two of them right now, and I've got four or five people working to help all the different parts, you know, electricians and people that do this stuff because I'm just not able to do it all like Sh- I used to. Sure. What's up in the hood then? What uh, What lights? Can you describe that for us? Uh, basically, what I do is have five swivel lights, and that uh, we put in there some bulbs that are very, very directional. They're, they have hot spots. Ding doesn't like that. Some artists do. The idea being you can paint with lights. You can put a blue here, a green there, a purple, whatever color you want, and uh, you know double the values or invert the values of your chalk and make it look like a day scene, a night scene. You can actually swivel all five spots to point to the area where your black light is. You follow me? Sure. The goal being to try to make the black light invisible, but then you can bring it up with any color that you want. I think it's, all, it's also nice, too, um, if you have, you know, dual lights, or dual lights on your picture, you can reinforce that by the spots. But the idea between those is you can take those out and put any kind of bulb in that you want. You don't have to use the, uh, the ones I sent. Then we have a standard black light two-foot, but it's, three, it's 33 watts. It's one of the old type that they don't make anymore. And uh, I actually bought all of them there were from the ones left over from Home Depot and Kmart and Walmart. They shipped them down to a place in Florida, and I bought them all. I've still got them in the basement. <laughs> About uh, probably 100 or so black lights still left, but, but it was definitely worth it because 33 and a half watts, you can't buy one like that. You have to actually come up with a different type of a, of a uh, ballast connection and wire it yourself. And there's some artists doing that now that are they have a real nice three-foot uh, light I saw with Ray Dombeck, uh, and it's uh, as bright or brighter than the 33 watts. Now, but what? it is three foot long. Mine's only two. Yours are two foot or twenty four inches, right? Huh. Twenty six actually total. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, you know, I, d- I discovered recently a way to overdrive uh, your black light bulb and almost double the wattage output on it. And I hope to have wonderful. A little, yeah, I hope to put a little article up on the uh, podcast uh, website uh, describing that process at some point in the future. Well, before I move uh, away from uh, your products, I wanted to uh, find out if any of them are available for a free download. From your, um, from your site? We're working on that right now, and you can actually read things online, but we're going to be making downloadable things available once we get our PayPal set up and all that. But uh, the, the goal being making it as available to people as cheap as possible, but at the same time I want to protect it so it doesn't get stolen by somebody to be used the wrong way. You follow me? Sure. So you'll have um, kind of a, a token cost involved? Sure, yeah. Okay. And I wouldn't mind making a few dollars on the site. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Which reminds me <laughs> of uh, another thing that you used to do, uh, another publication, and that was uh, 
the Chalk Art News. Now, last year, I believe, Chalk Art News celebrated its 50th anniversary. And for a while, you were the editor-in-chief of that publication, and I think actually um, presided over the transition from the print version to the electronic format. Can you tell us about how all that came about, how you got involved with it and so forth? Well, back in 1950, uh, I think it's 52 or 56, uh, they had the West Coast had a lot of artists that got together, and uh, they would they made a chalk art newsletter to try to keep up with all the latest innovations and latest ideas. And so, um, we I, I hadn't heard about that, but on the East Coast, I saw a real need for that because people didn't know where to buy paper or buy chalk, and they'd be asking me questions like, "Where do you do? Where do you get this? How do you find uh, easels and?" Uh, where the classes and all that. So we started the newsletter to try to uh, create uh, a resource for people so they can get materials. And then as I travel to classes, I just take the material that I've learned and pass it along. You follow me? Sure. So then when the web came along, I tried to make the transition from uh, print to like uh, to the to the web and started doing the newsletter and putting it on there. But as you know, I had some health problems and I had to finally walk away from those things because I had too many things going and just couldn't handle it anymore. Well, so Sure. Now, other people were in charge of the publication before you. What, what year did you say you took over the editorship of that? Well, actually, I started my own uh, version uh, without knowing there was a Chalk Art News on the West Coast. And I, we, I met with Avanel Slagle, and uh, she was actually doing just kind of a printed page with text only. There weren't any, weren't any pictures on it, uh, in it, and uh, she published that kind of as like a uh, newsletter with text only, no pictures. I felt like that the most important thing about the newsletter was the pictures so people could see, you know, what people were drawing. And so I spent a lot of money, invested a lot of time trying to make it as nice as possible and was trying to move towards a magazine style. And I had four or five printers around the country that were working with me to try to get it going. But unfortunately, there weren't a lot of people that were interested in paying what it would take to make that magazine go. And we have such a small, um, you know, uh, small market. You follow me? There's not that many people. If you if you have like twenty thousand subscribers, it's easy to print a nice magazine style publication. But when you have two hundred, good luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I understand. And many times when I would mail it out, the the cost of mail, of just the postage alone, would be more than what all the subscriptions that came in, you know, during the year. And uh, that was very difficult because I'd have to pay it out of my own pocket and my own grocery money many times, which I didn't mind doing. But there were just times we didn't have groceries either. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so, how many uh, how many issues would you say you published over the years that you were you know producing it? I'd have to count. I don't know. Uh, how many of those would be available on uh, on your website for free download right now? Do you know? I think there's only two or three that were on there. I just put uh, you know several sample versions on and not a lot of details. I was going to try to put all of the past issues clear back to '56 because I have them here. Uh, a, a, a big notebook that was sent to me uh, when Evanella handed it off to me because uh, she was having the same problem I'm having now, <laughs> health problems. And uh, long story short, I, I tried to put them online, and then one of the previous editors didn't want them put online. Really? Why was that? He, I think he wanted to make some money off of it or something, but I don't know what the deal was, but he, he said something about it, so I dropped it. I see. That's too bad. I know the Fellowship of Christian Magicians um, has a... Uh, uh, a magazine that they produce called the Christian Conjurer, to which I've subscribed for many years. And uh, just recently, uh, they uh, released a uh, DVD that has 50 years of Christian Conjurers in uh, searchable PDF format. 
And uh, it's a wonderful resource. I mean, uh, it's just a wonderful thing to have. I hope that that can uh, occur and come together sometime for Chalk Art News, all the back issues. Uh, I do, too. You know, I think that would be a helpful thing because the history of Chalk Art would be real easy to lose. You know, uh, yes, we can forget a lot of these things. And some of the old-timers, they had some fantastic ideas that were never, I mean, they died with them, you know. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that uh, you know I'm motivated to uh, to start this podcast. I want to capture this information and make it available. I hope you'll uh, try to contact the editor, one of the previous editors, and see if the, uh, something might be able to uh, to be developed there. That'd be a wonderful resource, even if it were you know a modest charge for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, I actually put uh, one of my nieces uh, that works for me uh, from time to time. I ask her to co- go through and catalog and kind of uh, put together all the old chalk art newsletters and with that in mind and i think she worked on it for about uh two or three weeks and then it kind of fell by the wayside well like you i'd like to keep the history alive so hopefully it won't get buried but uh put into a format that will be accessible to, to people i like that idea yeah I want to give you an opportunity dan to share some of your favorite stories from your own chalk art history, things that happened to you on stage, maybe uh, one of your most embarrassing uh, moments or something of that nature. Would you share uh, the things that come right to the top of your mind when I say that? Well, probably one of my favorites was the time that a pastor was trying to help me glue up a, a, a projector screen over the top of my chalk art easel. I used to have, I could see as many as seven projectors and sometimes a 48-foot wide screen. This was a little smaller for smaller churches. And uh, he worked at GM, and he had a big 55-gallon drum of glue. that he said, we can use that. That will hold it up real good. It's what they use to hold the seats together. And so we put this glue on there. And I said, is this going to dry in time? He says, oh, yeah, yeah, it'll dry. So we're, we got up there. It's a real humid day. It's raining all day. We're sitting in there, and all of a sudden I hear this sound over my head. You know, it's like starting to tear loose where the glue was. And I could hear, and I knew what the thing sounded like. So I'm up there, and I'm thinking, Lord, please don't let this hit me in the head. I'm standing right under this thing, you know, and don't let this thing hit me in the head. Well, God didn't answer my prayer. And so <laughs> and so, what happened was all of a sudden I felt this boom. And so this thing hit me in the head, this screen. So now it's stuck on my head, and I'm trying to get it off, and the glue's stuck. Okay? So now I'm just pulling, my, I'm pulling this thing as hard as I can. And what I'm doing, I'm ripping my hair out as I'm doing it because it sticks real good to my hair but not to the screen. Okay? So then I just jerked it real hard and I go, whoa, and I pull the thing down. And then the screen went flying into two pieces. And then the big bar, the big iron, one of the big iron bars, the glue stuck right in the middle of my head, stuck there. <laughs> so then I'm grabbing to hold this bar, and I'm trying to pull this bar up, and I'm pulling it, and I'm going, ah! As I'm doing this, the hair is, like, ripping out of my head, you know, and I'm pulling it out. And then when I got done, I had the first mohawk uh, preacher hair to, <laughs> hairdo ever, you know. And, boy, people were dying laughing. They teased me about that for months. But that was one of my most embarrassing moments. But uh, I think I've heard some other ones that were just as just as bad. <laughs> well, can you tell me something that was simply amazing that it happened or unfolded during one of your programs, either on stage or off? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the one of my favorite times of, of all and was <clears throat> when I saw a, a boy in a wheelchair uh, and his mother pushing him down to the front of the church, and they went down there and. And then there was another old man that went down the other side, and they both knelt at the altar at the end of the service. And then they looked at each other, and they screamed and started crying. And uh, I just done a thing on Thanksgiving about how that even when something's terrible in your life, you should be thankful for it. And sometimes that's what it takes, you know, to get through it. And uh, 
the, the come to find out, and I had him tell me the story several times so I'd get it straight, this boy was being carried by his mother, and she had a car accident, and as a result, he was injured so severely that he had to have a lifetime of surgery. I mean, his whole life was just trying to put him back together. But he was because he was in the womb when it happened. And uh, the dad, because of the the horrible uh, financial pressure and all the other things that happened, you know, it just blew their marriage apart. They they gave up, and he had, hadn't seen them actually for about 11 years. And Christians all across the country heard this story about this lady, and they'd sent money and prayed for her for years. And they both had really a lot of bitterness because their whole life was kind of destroyed from this one accident. And they both came forward. They didn't know they were there. They were on opposite sides of the auditorium. They didn't know they were in the same building. They hadn't seen each other for years. And they both came forward at the same altar call and said, Lord, thank you for this problem that came into my life. And they got up from their prayer and saw each other for the first time in 11 years. Wow. Now, that was like a 12-year-old boy in his in a wheelchair. That That's one of those things that, you know, I couldn't make it up if I wanted to. I still can't believe it happened. It's just like, you know, things like that happen when you travel. Sure. It's amazing. And to be a part of it and to see it unfold and experience it. Yeah, wonderful. I, I just try to get out of the way <laughs> let it happen, you know. <laughs> yeah, isn't that exactly the way it is? Well, I uh, I don't know if we've said enough here or not. I want to give you an opportunity to uh, to reflect and, and, uh, and share anything else with us that's on your heart or your mind regarding chalk art, perhaps uh, the most significant thing that you've learned from chalk or just uh, another story or something else. I want to give you ample opportunity. Sure. I think uh, one of the things that, impacted me the most about it, and this is in my books too, The Fine Art Painting with Chalk, life imitates art. What I found is that my favorite artwork is not anything on a canvas or anything in a sculpture, but it's what happens in the hearts of of men, you know. Against the darkest backdrops of confusion and despair, it seems like that I find the most amazing beauty in people's lives. And all it takes, it seems, is just a touch from the master's hand. You know, I look and see people that have no hope in this recession and, you know, there's so many fears and so many things going wrong today. And, of course, we see a complete change of values all across the board. I mean, everything's upside down today. And so many people are so discouraged and so, so afraid. But the good news is that God can take all that stuff and with one touch he can make a mess into a masterpiece. And that's one thing I learned in all these art classes. You know, we'd have... uh, Thousands of people, literally through the years, walk up their canvas. They'd be so scared when they touch the thing. They were like a deer in the headlights stare at seeing their face. You know, they'd right. you'd give them a brick and say, "Draw." It's almost like they were gunfighters in the old rest. Draw, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and they were terrified. And I would I would go up and share with them and say, "Look, there's nothing you can do to that canvas that we can't make beautiful. All you have to do is trust me. All you have to do is hand me the chalk for a minute." Just a few touches, and we can make a mess into a masterpiece. And that is the, is the thing that's had the most impact on my life, because I realized this, that the most horrible situation in life, the most terrible, terrible circumstances, can be made beautiful if you just give the chalk to the master. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that, uh, that thought, that, that, that philosophy. I appreciate it very much. Well, my philosophy of chalk art is, don't inhale. Don't inhale. <laughs> uh, Dan, before we uh, wrap up here, I want to uh, ask you what other kinds of art you do besides chalk art. I know that you're quite an artist outside of that field. Um, you have all kinds of uh, clients. You do web design. Just uh, share a little bit about that part of your career with us, would you? 
Sure, I do computer art, oil painting, acrylics, watercolor, airbrush, uh, music performance, composition arrangement, mixed down, commercial art, uh, product and uh, packaging design, branding, creatives, everything from the smallest uh, little website to a big, huge product for like uh, Walgreens. We did one product that won the number one product at the Las Vegas show, and Walgreens, I think they bought 23 million of them. Of course, I didn't get any money from that, but <laughs> but I helped design it. They actually had a guy go to NASCAR and take pictures of all the guys' helmets on the car. So I do a lot of artwork for Fortune 500 companies and a, a phone company, some of the biggest lawyers on the West Coast. Uh, they actually own an island out there. But uh, for some reason, the Lord sends them to me, and I help them fix their, keep, keep things moving on all their uh, their products and services and their printouts and things like that. But uh, I'm really glad I can do that from home. It's a great it's a great opportunity to and I always wondered what happened to evangelists when their health breaks. Now yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh you know we we all reach that sunset uh of our lives at some point and uh I hope our listeners will remember to lift you up in prayer. I hey, uh, appreciate it. Sure do. For your for your health needs. Is there anything else Dan you'd like to share with us before we wrap things up? Sure. Everett Britton told me when I first started. He said photograph everything you draw. And I said, isn't that kind of egotistical? But then I found out what it, what he was doing. It's really humiliating. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you take a picture of every drawing you draw, you'll find out something. Every drawing you have has its own lessons to teach you. And I, I don't know about you, but I only like about one out of every 20 drawings I draw. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm never really quite satisfied with what I produce. Really? And uh, the, really, I only like parts of those. You know, if you ask me if my favorite picture, I'd say, well, I like the mountains there, but I like the deer here, but I like the tree on this one, but I like the clouds on that one. I think it's because artists, in order to be an artist, you have to be able to see and spot your own mistakes. So a really good artist, all he sees is mistakes. mistakes. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And this, this one artist, as he, was, as he was in his last days on Earth, a guy asked him, they said, what is an artist's style? And he, he understood it. He said, an artist's style is basically how he organizes his mistakes on the canvas. <laughs> I love it. Wonderful. And to me, that's really true. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> you know, you said something about uh, egotistical. I want to give you an opportunity to brag just a little bit, and I hope you'll take advantage of it. Tell us about some of your special accomplishments, which over the years, special honors or TV coverage or uh, articles that were written about you, so forth and so on. Well, probably the most fantastic thing that ever happened to me was a podcast from Kerry Kelly. Oh, stop. That was fantastic. I mean, I just never, I never thought in a million years, you know, that we'd have anything like this happen. To me, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was when Ray Dombeck said, you know, you changed my life. Or Matt Bowman said one day, he said, you know, he said, I never teach without thinking about you. You know, you don't know how much that means to an old guy. You know, <laughs> that's like it makes me cry just see, saying that stuff. I guess that means I'm really an old fogey to think like that. Yeah. But I'm sure Ding Tooling feels that way too. You know, to me, the greatest accomplishments in life weren't done in front of the United Auto Workers. You know, with thousands of people there, or uh, when I drew for a huge conference down in Texas on ABC TV. That was nothing compared to, you know, Ray Dombeck going to Mexico and drawing pictures down there, and or like the artist that bought an easel of mine and went to India, and there were 7,000 kids that came and trusted Christ. And they brought, they had a trouble with their easel. They sent it back to me. I gave them a brand-new easel. I took the old one, and I drew on that one. I just wanted one that had, had that kind of experience, like notches on the handle of the revolver, you know, <laughs> like, like Jesse James. I just like the dents in that thing, just thinking about it, <laughs> you know, that it's been over there in India. To me, the greatest accomplishments to me are 
when people were helped and when their lives were changed. And when, like I say, that's my favorite art. And that's, you know, when you get to the end of life, it's kind of a different perspective than you had before. Well, that's so true. You're leaving a wonderfully awesome legacy behind you. And I think that's so important for each of us. Well, I hope, I hope it helps some people. Uh, one funny story I think you might like. Sure. We had bats in the church get loose. <laughs> when I was drawn in Detroit, or in, uh, it was in Michigan, I think it was uh, near Sarnia or right around there. But there were bats loose in this church, and so there, this bat's flying around, and I drew an eagle, and at the end of the picture, the eagle's wings actually fly. I do it with this, did it with a series of projectors, you know, and I drew the eagle in five stages of flight, and then what would happen, the eagle's wings would fly over the top of the picture, and it looked like he was flying on the page. Well, there was a fellow who worked night shift in the balcony, and <laughs> and the bat was flying around. It was flying sorties all over the building. You know, it was zooming in, and he almost hit you in the face. The women were screaming. People were leaning right and left. I thought they were really getting into the special effects, you know. Oh, of course. But really, it was a bat. And this guy up in the balcony, he was like half asleep, and he was kind of snoring. But the bat flew right in his face, and the wind hit him and everything. And he woke up just in time to see those wings coming at him real big. <laughs> and he screamed real loud. He says, whoa! Those special effects are real. <laughs> so that was one of my favorite. I've often thought about hiring that bat to help me. You know, <laughs> put him on the put him on the payroll, right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, I just remembered a question I wanted to ask you earlier. Uh, after your programs are finished, you've got this drawing, and you've got twenty people that all come up and want the drawing. Uh, how do you handle that? What do you do with all the drawings uh, that you do post program? How does uh, how does that work for you? Well, I'll tell you what I don't do is what Everett Britton said happened one time. He went to this church and the guy said, uh, "Everett's going to auction off his picture to the highest bidder after the service." <laughs> he said, "I said, what'd you do?" He said, "I took off running." The people were chasing me with dollar bills and hundred dollar bills, and I'll, I'll give you, you know. And they're out, like having an auction out there. He's running, but. Uh, <laughs> What, what I've done through the years, and most, most places do this, except when you're in really large venues, it's just impossible. But what I did was most of the meetings I had were five days long, uh, four, three, three to five days long. And in a week's time, I tried to build towards the service after I was gone. The goal being I wanted to help the church. You know how it is when you go to a meeting and there's a special meeting, everybody comes to hear this special guy, and then they go back to business as usual and nobody wants to hear the pastor. You know, they say, oh, well, we should have crowds like that guy. I wish our pastor was as good as him. You follow me? Yeah. So what I tried to do was I encouraged the pastors to give the paintings away the week following. And I actually, actually sent a letter requesting that they build frames for all my pictures. Some people, I mean, they had frames under glass. Some people were professional woodworkers. They had them stained. One guy had them fired, you know, special way, and, you know, they, they really made nice frames. And I found out the carpenters in the church can do it better than me. And so every picture pretty much that I drew through the years uh, was framed and mounted and hung up in the front of the church and awarded the Sunday after I left the service, the goal being to try to see who could bring the most visitors, not just during the week, but to the Sunday after to hear the pastor. You follow me? Oh, very nice. Sure. Good and idea. And the goal being to try to add families to the church. and. My prayer was that we'd see 20 families added each week, but that only happened once. <laughs> but we did have some remarkable things happen. I remember one place, we actually photographed the people at the beginning of the week and photographed them at the end of the week, and there were twice as many at the end as the beginning. 
and it was a missions conference. They actually took the missions budget out of the general fund and doubled their regular offerings at the same time. So essentially triple their income and double their their attendance. We went back the next year, and the same thing happened. Went back the next year, and the same thing happened. And so that, that church just grew and grew and grew. So our goal was to try to motivate people. And the cool thing is when you do that, when you come back the next year, people are ready for you, and they've invite, invited people all year long to come. And some one lady, she actually said, I'll work an hour shift for you if you'll come. And so she did it all year long. She worked an hour shift for everybody who said they would come to that meeting to help her win her drawings. And I think she had 23 people from her work saved that week. Wonderful. That was in Washington, D.C. That's tremendous. Hey, Dan, I want you to uh, leave us with the website of your preference. Where can people find you and all the stuff that you have to offer? Well, let's see. Chalkstuff.com would be easy to remember. C-H-A-L-K-S-T-U-F-F.com. Chalkartnews.com. That would be easy to remember. And uh, DanAndre.com. Those are easy. All of them kind of point to the same places. And uh, they've not been updated for years, but I'm hoping by the time the, the listeners to this podcast get the information, they can see, you know, new versions and um, everything's there, just what they need. And, and I'm always glad to help. If somebody has a question, call me up because I'm here, and I'll be glad to help you with anything I can. Awesome. Well, I know you've done that for me uh, over the years, and I, I so much appreciate it. I want to apologize, too. You know, I'm sorry that uh, I'm embarrassed that my health is broken later in life, but you know, I, I know limitations like this are from the Lord, but I want to apologize to all the people that, you know, I may be let down through the years because I just couldn't do what I wanted to for them, you know. I guess we all run out of gas, don't we? Well, you know, eventually it happens to all of us. Dan, thank you so much for taking uh, so much time to be with us here on Chalked and Amazed. It's my pleasure. I enjoyed it. You've been a, a great blessing to me and so many others over the years. Well, Give the Lord all the credit. I've always prayed that you'd forget me and remember him. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks for all you've done for Chalk Art. And uh, please keep it up. Don't quit, okay? I'm not planning on it. How about you? No, no. I've got a lot of years. Hopefully God will give me a a few more decades anyway to keep at it. Well, all the best, Carrie. Thanks. Lord bless you. Have a good day. And thank you, Dan. We'll catch up again sometime. Okie doke. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye now. Thanks to all of you listeners out there for tuning in to our second podcast episode here at ChalkedAndAmazed.com. I hope you enjoyed listening. Tune in again. We'll be putting up more and more interviews as time goes by. Be sure to swing by the website and check out some of the products that are uh, there, not for sale, but for free download. And I hope you'll take advantage of those as well. If you think of somebody that you would like to hear interviewed on Chalked and Amazed, I hope maybe you'll send me a quick email, and we'll do our best to get a hold of them and have an interview. And also, I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast. There are links there on the page to make that easy to do. We want to be a blessing to you as you listen. So thanks once again for joining us on Chalked and Amazed. I hope now that after the interview with Dan Andre that you have been chalked and amazed. Chalked and amazed.